0: are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. Spoiler alert! No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot, or even possibly the ending, so just be warned. Christine, which came out in 1983 and was directed by John Carpenter. It stars Keith Gordon, John Stockwell, Alexandra Paul, Robert Prosky, Harry Dean Stanton, Christine Belford, Roberts Blossom, and William Ostrander. The genre would be supernatural horror thriller. She is seductive.
1: She is passionate. She is possessive. She is pure, evil. A 1958 Plymouth Fury. Her previous owner is not alive to warn her present one. Once she lures you behind the wheel, you will be hers, body and soul. There is no place you can hide, no place you can run, and nothing you can do can stop her. Because how do you kill something that can't possibly be alive? Christine. Body by Plymouth. Soul by Satan.
0: Rewatching this for what seems like the 10th time recently, I can safely say that the engine is still purring on this one. In fact, I would place this among the elite of both Stephen King adaptations and John Carpenter films. I just love the simplicity of it. We just take it at face value that the eponymous Christine is an evil car with mystical powers. There's some backstory, but just relating to her array of victims.
1: Probably the only thing my brother ever loved in his whole rotten life was that car. No shitter ever came between him and Christine. If they did, watch out. He had a five-year-old daughter, choked to death in her. He wouldn't get rid of her. He just rode around with the radio blaring, not a care in the world, except for Christine. Only time I ever interfered with it was when Rita killed herself. Who's Rita?
0: His wife. You hear a rat's ass about her. She died the same way he did. It's never particularly gory, but that does not make it any less tense or scary. Especially when the car is throwing out canny needle drops from its radio at just the right times. And the cast holds up pretty well, too. Though you can make a case that the three teenage... I put that in quotes. Motherfucker, you look dirty. Leads are a tad underwritten, even as they're each delivering pretty natural performances. Stockwell and Paul are solid, though the standout remains Keith Gordon as the initial protagonist, Arnie. Yes, I say initial because he's clearly not in that role by the end of the movie, yeah. Let me tell you a little something about love, Dennis. It has a voracious appetite.
1: He eats everything. Friendship, family... It kills me how much it eats. But I'll tell you something else. You feed it right, and it can be a beautiful thing, and that's what we have. You know, when someone believes in you, man, you can do anything, any fucking thing in the entire universe. And when you believe right back in that someone, then watch out, world, because nobody can stop you That nobody, ever. And you feel this way about Lee? <laughs> what?
0: Fuck no. I'm talking about Christine, man. No shitter ever came between me and Christine. He would eventually become a pretty good director, but as an actor, Gordon just kind of does good nebbish and psycho. You at the very least buy that his Arnie is gradually becoming infatuated with his car. And there are joys to be had with some of the more seasoned supporting cast members. Robert Prosky is likely overdoing it a bit as the drunken garage owner, but he's still fun to watch.
1: He's got all his shit in three weeks. Look how cockeyed he looks, Pepper. He's got fucking brand new windshield wipers for a busting windshield. Well, the boy does have good hands. Good hands. Bad taste in cost.
0: As is the great Harry Dean Stanton, who does not have much screen time as the police detective on the trail after Christine's body count starts to rise, but he brings an intelligence to every scene that he's given.
1: Okay. So what do you want, huh? I really like this shade of red, Arnie didn't think they still made this anymore. Do they? They still make this shade. Well, they must. I mean, I bought it, didn't I? Where? Baker Auto out on Route 5, okay? You still got the receipt. Tossed it out. Mm. You know, it's funny, um... Uh, cigarette? No, thanks. Usually when somebody trashes a car, we get photographs. Oh, wait, wait, wait. They... Didn't really trash it, okay? Well, that's not what Lee said. As a matter of fact, she was
0: so shaken up, giving me all the details, she broke down crying. The real star is, of course, the car. The bright red '58 Plymouth Fury is a sight to behold, even for someone like myself, who's decidedly not into vintage cars. Every image we see of the car's interior and exterior starts to take on some menace. Now on paper, this just should not work as a main villain. But with a master-like carpenter behind the camera, it does. Even in the most throwaway of moments, like an early scene when the camera closes in on a mechanic placing his half-lit cigar on top of the upholstery of the passenger seat. (laughs) You know just instantly that this mechanic is not getting out of that car alive. Overall, this movie is a clever suspense and thrill machine topping out at a perfect 110 minutes, just firing on all cylinders, pun intended. The characters are well-drawn, and the conclusion is a perfect blend of cynical yet satisfying, which would pretty much describe most of Carpenter's filmography from this very time period, including previous episode, The Thing. Now, Christine is certainly not his best film overall, but it's still a damn fun watch.
1: I wouldn't feel so bad if I were you. You two are heroes, you know. Yeah. Real hero could have saved Arnie. We didn't do so hot. Hey, some things can't be helped, some people, too. (laughs) Yeah. rock
0: and roll. And now the categories. The first category would be the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film, because music is essential to film. The film, like I said, makes great use of music besides its array of classic rock tunes, especially during some key kill scenes. But for me, among those needle drops, the best one occurs during the final shot of the movie as the camera closes in on our now vanquished villain sitting in a scrapyard in one rectangular block of metal after going through a compactor. We see a couple of pieces of it start to creak and then the now iconic opening guitar licks of what was at the time a relatively new pop song as it had just been released a year prior in 1982. <laughs> ¶¶ Now of course it's considered classic rock and has become one of the most overused needle drops in countless movies since. Here it sounds fresh though.
1: Then nurse spoke up, So leave this one alone. She can tell right away that I was bad to the bone.
0: Bad to the bone. Bad to the bone. Bad. 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 Bad to the ball. I'm of course referring to George Thurgood's smash single, Bad to the Bone but for me the musical overall highlight is of course John Carpenter's own moody synth score, and if you've listened to enough episodes of this podcast you know that I'm a sucker for a good moody synth score and this one is classic even though it's quite repetitive with basically several variations of the same recurring theme, which would be Christine's theme Yep, it's basically a fast paced, eerie synth beat where it almost sounds as if this music could be following you. <laughs> and of course, it kicks in at key points, especially during one standout sequence when we see an inflamed, literally, Christine chasing down Buddy Repperton after blowing up a gas station with his buddies in it. Yeah, you can figure that out. <laughs> Buddy is the lead bully, played by William Ostrander, looking like a menacing hybrid of early John Travolta and the evil cyclist from American Flyers. You've seen that movie. Carpenter, with help from DP Donald Morgan, just has a command of the imagery as we see this flaming car lighting up a dark road with Buddy desperately running in front, leading to a haunting image of his burning corpse just left behind on the road. It's a brief sequence with a brief piece of music, but all the more effective with the combination of the two. This track is, of course, called Buddy's Death. This brings me to the next category, which would be Wasted Talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Sad to say, but this film kind of underperformed upon its initial release. It made about $21 million on a $10 million budget after receiving generally okay reviews from critics at the time. I suspect that there were two main reasons for this. Number one, it was released in December, just a couple of weeks before Christmas. Honestly, just not the best time of year to put out a pure horror film. But don't get me wrong, you will occasionally have a smash horror hit released at this time of year. The two prime examples being the original Scream and previous recent episode, The Exorcist. But more often than not, horror films just tend to get lost in the shuffle during the holidays. A more ideal time would have likely been roughly about six weeks earlier in the lead-up to Halloween. And number two... At this point in the 1980s, there was a seeming glut of Stephen King adaptations being brought to the big screen, and never more so than in late 83, as this film came out within less than a year of the following other ones. Cujo, Children of the Corn, Firestarter, and what many consider to be one of the best Stephen King adaptations, David Cronenberg's excellent rendition of The Dead Zone, starring Christopher Walken in one of his best career performances. Yeah, that's basically five Stephen King-adapted horror films released within 20 months of each other. Just too many for this particular one to stand out as much. Now, fortunately, Christine did find a second life on video and cable, as did many other films during this time. I believe I first caught it on HBO, actually. But make no mistake, I would love to have the opportunity to see this on the big screen. And at the time of release, it still deserved to be appreciated on the big screen. Here's hoping for a theatrical re-release at some point. We could get it. The next category would be Trailer Moment. This is the or moment that best describes this movie. Now, the absolute standout is, of course, a sequence about halfway through the movie as the titular car has now been smashed up by a gang of bullies led by the previously mentioned Buddy Reperton. Arnie, our hero, well, at this time, is, of course, distraught, seeing this mangled piece of metal and rubber now sitting in his garage. He caresses the top of the car, and even talks to her to reassure her as he's going to fix her and make her even better.
1: We'll make it better, huh? Can't hurt us anymore. Not if we work together.
0: We'll show those shitters what we can do. But then, as Arnie walks over to his nearby assortment of tools, he hears some creaking metal behind him and turns to see that the chrome cover for his engine, Christine's engine, has been fully repaired, even looking brand new. Hmm. Arnie knows what's going on, and walks around to face the front of the car, laying out a challenge with just a simple two-word phrase. Okay. Show me. Suddenly, the highlights beam on. Some alluring music kicks in on the soundtrack, and we witness Christine start to, quote, repair herself with no assistance from anyone. Even as Arnie looks on adoringly, he and Christine have in essence become one. <sighs> practical effects used to portray this back in 1983 still hold up. It was mainly done by a combination of reverse photography and inflatable materials shined up to resemble metal. Just amazing, really. The final category would be the MVP. This is the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. Now, it's really not that often that we witness the on-screen collaboration between two utter genre masters, and gratefully, it was a perfect fit. Stephen King the perennial best-selling modern master of horror, who as a novelist has delivered a long list of iconic classics, including, of course, It, The Stand, The Langoliers, Cujo, and The Shining. I would venture to guess that no other author maybe besides J.K. Rowling, has had such influence on modern pop culture than Boston's own Richard Bachman. That was his real name, of course. The novel itself, Christine, actually came out earlier this same year, predictably to strong sales and some acclaim as one of the author's better, more straightforward horror concepts. You see, Stephen King always excelled at bringing an element of fear to just about anything, no matter how mundane it appeared to be on the surface, whether that be dogs, vending machines, isolated ski resorts, or high school proms. And this novel just had a brilliant concept. The whole idea of a young, impressionable man being in a relationship with a mysterious object. This being an automobile. Definitely one of the most fetishized technological inventions in American history. Yeah, we know the folks. That this would be optioned and developed into a film adaptation, this quickly kind of made sense by this point. We were just a few years removed from the breakout successes of other on-screen King adaptations, including The Shining and Carrie. So yes, by this point, master filmmakers like Kubrick and De Palma had already had a go at adapting his work. So why not Carpenter? Well, why not indeed, as he had help from screenwriter Bill Phillips, who co-adapted the novel with him. Carpenter's interpretation of the story was pretty close, albeit with significantly less gruesome violence and fewer mystical overtones. It's in the novel that we read a specific explanation for why this car is being controlled by supernatural forces, whereas in the movie, it's never quite explained. Much more is left to the imagination in this version, resulting in what I feel is a more effective yarn. For these two titanic talents to combine to deliver one of the best horror films of the 1980s, John Carpenter and Stephen King are your co-MVPs. My rating for Christine would be four and three-quarter stars out of five. I just adore this film, and consider it to be one of the most rewatchable horror films from this era. And as far as I'm concerned, it's also among the top tier of cinematic Stephen King adaptations, possibly just ahead of The Mist and The Running Man, just a little bit behind The Shawshank Redemption, and my personal all-time favorite King adaptation, Misery. And if you're looking to watch Christine, it is currently streaming on AMC+. Plus. And that ends another bear to the bone review please like subscribe and share the living for the cinema podcast and follow and like us on facebook instagram and letterboxd and join us next time for another review from living for the cinema